Before we jump in, a note on our content. This is created for adult audiences only. We advise listener and reader discretion for graphic depictions of violence, frank portrayal of sexuality, discussions of mental illness, existential struggle, PTSD, and some downright filthy language. It might be a lot to take in, so if you need a breather, take a break or come back later. The narrations are my personal accounts and experiences and opinions and should be taken with a side serving of humour. I don't aim to be representative as the narrations are part of my lived experiences and may differ from person to person. My Creatively Messy Life podcast would like to show its respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of elders past and present on which this podcast has been recorded. Episode 1. Wow, who would have thought? Hi, I'm Chanel Fernandez, and if you don't know who I am by now, I'm the host of this podcast, My Creatively Messy Life. If you missed out on the trailer and accidentally stumbled upon this show, let me just get your expectations right. It's a show where I discuss the mishaps of my life that have shaken me up, made me laugh burst into uncontrollable laughter, challenged me, destroyed me and helped me rise through each and every difficult situation just by showing up with the biggest smile on my face. I have been in the hiatus for the longest amount of time. I mean, I think what I started the podcast in 2020 and then did a couple of episodes and then found it rather cumbersome and decided to just give up purely because of procrastination and also because I have a highly creative mind that has these zillion ideas that I want to pursue all at once. So here I go, take two at my attempt at trying to uh, sort of record episodes about, you know, things and topics that are very close to my heart. And this show, it's all about maybe to inspire you to look at life, um, you know, and not take it that seriously and make you learn to enjoy the smaller things. I surely enjoy the smaller and the finer things. And you know what, when you start enjoying the smaller things and the little joys in your life, it's when you look at it as an accumulation, as a sum of, you know, small little great things. And then suddenly life looks a lot much more happier and brighter and a lot less messier. If you've ever read the book, You Can Heal Your Life by Lewis Hay, there is a relatable quote. It goes by saying, love who you are and what you are and what you do and laugh at yourself and at life and nothing can touch you. And I truly live by that. I mean, every day, especially during lockdown, I think I was all by myself living in an apartment with my dog and, well, I thought I would probably you know, be miserable, but I actually uh, thrived during that time. I think I was the most creative and enjoyed a whole lot of, you know, smaller little projects that I took upon uh, myself. And although I probably didn't complete many of them, but yeah, um, 
I, you know, I loved going for walks with my dog. I got much more healthier. Uh, I was cooking a whole lot and I kind of become a sort of an expert in the kitchen with some crazy recipes and things like that. And so, yeah, you, you know, you sometimes you can surprise yourself. And coming back to, you know, all the messy and the crazy, unfortunate things that happen in one's life, and especially mine, one of the biggest F-ups of my life, it's what basically made a lot of things messy, confusing, and sometimes rather frustrating to an extent it's it has defined me for probably the last couple of years. So this this big F up episode is dedicated to the biggest mess of my life and that's my divorce. Now wait a minute. If you think it's going to be, you know, an hour long session of you know, sort of male bashing or bashing my ex-partner or it's going to be a rant. This ain't the show. Unfortunately, nothing of that's going to happen. Rather, this is a personal account that I wish I had someone who had put it out there when I was going through the dreaded D process. It's a show where every single person, single or married or coupled, every young person... Uh, who is happily married, a person in the midst of the storm, they should listen to this. Growing up as an Indian girl, I think how liberating and cool it would be that I would get a divorce. Nope. I was the usual run-of-the-mill girl who had dreams of finding a Prince Charming and living happily ever after clad in the fluffiest of white gowns and having one of those crazy rich Asian weddings. Yes, I was one of those girls. And deep down, even today, I believe that a prince will come and whisk me away. I watch a lot of Korean dramas. Have you seen Hunbin? You know, the Korean actor? Oh my god. You need to check him out. He's pretty hot. And I watch a lot of rom-coms. It's my guilty pleasure. I uh, off lately have been watching. Have you seen Bromance? It's the cutest. Like how cool and how amazing, you know, are gay rom-coms. I feel the love stories that gay people come up with are so much more cuter. Straight people pretty predictable, but like gay people, I love them. So being a die-hard romantic, you know, there's love and romance overflowing through my veins. And quite frankly, I believe in over-the-top sappy romance. Little did I think I would find myself at 40 being divorced not once, but twice. Now coming back to being divorced twice. I know people are going to raise their eyebrows and be like, oh my god. She is Elizabeth Taylor. She is a, I don't know, what's the word? Um, She's on a witch hunt for men. I wish. I'm pretty simple. I'm a basic bitch, actually. As I said, I believe in romance, so I'm a one-man kind of girl. I would like to burst that bubble 
for most of people who follow me on Instagram and look through my feed and be like, "Ooh, look at her. She looks so sexy. She, She's out there putting herself. She might have a line of hot guys. Well, yeah, they, they are. But it, I just don't give anybody the time of day. Uh, I'm pretty picky and choosy and and I'm not a, on a witch hunt. Nah, nah, nothing of that sort. Nah. No, 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 no. And I'm not saying no because, you know, I'm like this sanskari sort of Indian, oh my God, such an obedient girl. I have other important things in my life that keep me preoccupied, like my career, like my passion, uh, you know, my other things that I keep myself involved in. And yeah, if there is someone who comes along, well, yeah, fine. But now I don't have any juicy gossip in regards to my love life. Growing up as an Indian woman, and I think as a South Asian, there is so much importance given to marriage. It's looked upon as this penultimate coming only second to childbearing as per Indian standards. Once you get married, you become a complete person. And God forbid you get divorced. You're confined by society to being this bitter, soulless absolute failure of a person incomplete is what they say and then you're typecasted by society you're put in at like almost at the bottom of the barrel and also by numerous versions depicted in Indian cinema you're almost compared to Ovidor where you're soulless bitter broken human beings where you'd see the woman walking hand in hand with her child holding, you know, a little grocery bag and looks really tired and very, and then you'd see a man who's drinking and he's completely heartless and bitter and he's heartbroken. And Western cinema hasn't done much as well. I'm not sure how many of you would remember, I think this was way in the 1980s, you had Diane Keating, I think, in it, First Wives Club, about these four women or five women who seek revenge and then there was Kramer versus Kramer. It was a very heavy movie. It was a whole lot of legal battle about child custody. And then Marriage Story, which is the latest one. I think it was on Amazon Prime. Just It was so erratic, amazing acting, I would say. And I think it was nominated for an Oscar as well. But yeah, all of these sort of cinematic depictions of divorce have tainted it and given it a bad rep. It's about struggle and battle and ego and revenge. And and then there's a flip side to it. There are movies like Eat, Pray, Love. Trust me, I love Julia Roberts, but Eat, Pray, Love ruined me. I remember watching that movie when I was still in a relationship, watching it with a couple of my girlfriends. And trust me, I looked, watched that movie and I was like, wow, you know, this is what can happen when you get divorced. You can like write a book, travel to Europe and Bali and eat lots of pasta and then meet this amazingly gorgeous guy and life will be happily ever after. Trust me, it might happen. I'm not saying it can never, but the rarity of it and then we get bombarded of divorce stories in the news 
I mean, look at Princess Diana, you know, the royal family. And then you have the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard saga, which was just, oh, just every single day. It was a lot to take in. I think I was reading a book during when I was going through the process of divorce and it, it compared divorce to almost being diagnosed with cancer. And I think in my head, I had this conversation or this argument that at least with cancer, it's spoken about. You have specialists who know things about it. There is a cautionary measures that you can take to avoid it or to sort of diagnose it earlier or to nip it in the bud. But with divorce, there isn't much discourse. There is no first-person account. And we are so scared of cancer. We're scared of divorce as well. But we don't take any precautions toward avoiding it. Then how are we supposed to sort of, um, you know, find that malignant tumor that affects our relationships? How do we prepare ourselves for divorce? It is inevitable in these days. I'm not saying that, you know, every relationship would end up in a divorce. But we are humans and we have an, you know, ever-evolving sort of urge to find connection, happiness and contentment. And divorce isn't something to be ashamed of very often. That self-respect having boundaries are healthy and lead to better trust and communication. And if we aren't getting that, it's our moral duty as human beings to be kind to ourselves, to raise that flag, and it's okay to call it quits. That this way we are helping build a better empathetic society and connections that are genuine. And isn't that how it should be? My divorce was not a messy one. It was just plain brutal. Yes, brutal. I won't deny it. Unlike my present day self, that I am the strong, independent, modern day woman, the coupled self, the married self that I was, was highly dependent, clueless, who married her childhood sweetheart, who bought a home and was living the dream of being a suburban domestic goddess, who fortunately had a great career. I mean, I should be really grateful that I had a really good fallback of my career. Now, it's always sweet to hear a story of puppy love and childhood sweethearts. And I know many people who are still married who've you know fallen in love when they were kids and I'm in awe with their relationships every single day but no one tells you that when you start off as you know young love or puppy love people change you change your partner changes I was so engrossed in the fantasy of marrying my childhood sweetheart that I didn't do any of the growing up business 
My partner's social circle became my social circle. I didn't have many friends outside that circle. So when one fine day, my partner, who I had known for 15 years, came up to me and told me that he didn't love me anymore, it was the biggest shock to my system. It was as if my world was coming to an end. The worst bit is that the divorce was fine. It was the processing and dealing with the emotions that was the hardest bit. This was in an era where J.K. Rowling was still emerging as this superheroine who was divorced, had written a series of books and had suddenly changed her life. And there was not much of sort of a conversation around her success or how she overcame her battles. And Brené Brown hadn't written her book about vulnerability yet. And Adele hadn't sung a single song. Social media was just in its infancy. And I was alone in a different country with no family around me, trying to deal with the only man I had ever loved abandoning me. See, again, the abandoning, as heavy as a word it is, I'd like to see things from two perspectives, always. I always give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And in this case, it's not just one person, it's the whole generation of Indian and South Asian men. Because they're not taught to deal with their emotions. Their mothers never talk about being okay if a boy can cry. It's never okay for a man to be weak, to be vulnerable, or be scared of growing old, or losing a job, or losing your identity as you grow out of your friendship circle or struggling with emotions and feelings or finding it really difficult to communicate hard things. We look upon men as these superheroes who know it all and be it all and they can do all things right. And if we did have men who are more tuned to their emotions and their vulnerable sides, we would have better men and better partners who would communicate better and possibly longer lasting relationships. However, I think this is a generational problem. I have seen it in my own father and my mother where there is no importance given to good communication. It's always about tutu meme, which means bickering and fighting and yelling. There is never the right fight. There's never a sort of an adult conversation. So how the hell was my then partner ever going to communicate his wants? Or how was I going to decipher his tattoo and his expensive splurge buy of a 90k Audi as his cry for help? The poor chap didn't know how to deal with his own emotions, let alone, you know, erratic raging woman who was so crazy and heartbroken and who was just told by the love of her life that he didn't love her anymore.
it was an absolute mess. It was one of the messiest messes of my life. Purely because I didn't know how to process the emotions. I didn't know what to feel, how to feel, who I could relate to, who I couldn't relate to. And just, you know, dealing with those really hard emotions. Have you ever watched the show uh, Uncoupled? It's a Netflix show. It has Neil Patrick Harris in it. And as I said, I'm a big fan of gay romances and Neil Patrick Harris as well. And he's just this adorable guy that you'd probably fall in love with his hopelessness. And that was me. I felt every single emotion that Neil Patrick Harris feels in that show. I was hopeless, heartbroken, an absolute while of a human being, an angry bitch as well. I had no family around, no friends who weren't friends with my partner. Now coming back to the thing about having common friendship circles when you are married or in a relationship, it's that it's convenient, it's easy and quite frankly it's a lazy ass attempt at making individualistic, meaningful interpersonal relationships. That's a bit of a mouthful, but trust me, it's the most laziest ass attempt as a grown-up or as an adult to forming really genuine relationships. If within that circle you like a few and you pretend to like many, despite the fact that you despise every single thing about the fakeness of being called a friendship circle. You, every weekend, it's sort of a routine where you catch up with the same people, you have the same conversations, you do the same things you're talking about, you know, your husbands and your kids and, you know, oh, I got this and I got that. And it's just the comfort of those familiar conversations. There isn't something that could stand out or spark controversy because everyone's so scared. Everyone's so scared of, you know, disrupting the group or displeasing people. And you become people pleasers. And coming back to friends and how divorce makes perfectly sane, morally righteous humans who choose sides purely because one partner is numb and devoid or scared of showing emotions and comes across as the more society-approved, safer bet to choose versus the emotionally raging, sleep-deprived, highly volatile, out with a vendetta, other half who could spell drama at the drop of a hat. This whole friendship saga can be an absolute different episode. I could dedicate an entire episode to that. And with friends, it's so easy to dish out sympathy versus empathy because empathy takes time. It takes patience. It takes a lot of effort to have a year without judgment, without a sort of advice or without a take on how you should be leading your life or what you should have done. And I think friends sometimes lack the basic skill of having empathy because they think sympathy is what you need. But actually, it's empathy and understanding and patience in a very difficult situation like divorce. 
I have to mention a sudden encounter with a so-called friend who was calling in to convey her grief on my separation. It would have been barely two minutes in the conversation and she goes, So, how is he? How is he managing everything? Does he have food? Who's cooking for him? I was astonished, a bit taken aback. Why, hello, I'm in the same boat. Unlike my partner, I moved out or was kindly requested to leave my house. I had to find a place, get all the stuff that makes a functional home, deal with the feelings of being abandoned. But I was asked first, does he have food? It's this preconceived notion that because you're a woman and because you're a homemaker and you've already gone through the uprooting when you got married from your parental home, that it would be familiar and hence easier. But for men, it's the first time being uprooted from a familiar sort of setting and hence divorce would be harder. Like, seriously? Like, what the actual hell? This didn't just come from a friend. Quite shockingly, it's something that even came out of my mother's mouth. Well, yes, parents. That's a whole different sort of dealing with. I am the first woman in my family to move to a different country. I am the only second woman in my family to marry outside my religion. I am also the first person in my family to get a divorce. Imagine the reaction when I had to break the news to my parents and my in-laws. There was a lot of crying and melodrama. It involved my parents taking a holy pilgrimage because God only knows, God had the answer to save my marriage. It involved me being asked about the delay in getting pregnant. It involved debates on how my holiday to Turkey and a surprise visit to a friend's wedding were the cause of my marriage failing. At the end, it could have been anything that I did. It could have been the way I cut tomatoes or peeled my onions that had brought about the sudden demise of my marriage. It was also maybe because I was a bit too much, according to my own parents. My parents didn't know how to react or handle their emotions. My elder sibling was much rather the same. See, I and my ex-partner were considered to be the it couple. We were that couple that everyone aspired to be. Good-looking, successful and childhood sweethearts. And when it came to an end, it felt like daylight robbery as we had stolen the delightfulness of our family and friends. So I've always had great relationship with my in-laws and particularly my mother-in-laws because I was their pride and joy when it came to the kitchen department because I have always been a great cook. So my mum-in-law was struck by grief that she had lost her one and only telephone confidant who she could discuss how to make great korma or a chutney with. My parents eventually did come around, but they went through a whole denial phase. 
where they would lie about my divorce or when someone asked, completely weighed away from the topic. Probing relatives, the self-proclaimed what will people say club subscribers. Well, what do I say about them? I have enacted this rather sadistic Kill Bill scenario where I wear a yellow leather clad jumpsuit, a rather sexy one, and pull out my ninja sword and go whoosh 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 and cut off their ever-probing inquisitive noses. Yes, not noses, not the head, because it's just more gruesome and much more realistic and much more relevant. But yes, probing Indian relatives, they are the bane of all misery. I highly recommend turning deaf, blind and learning to run. Running only won't help you get fitter, but also running will help you get away from the so-called unsolicited observation that these relatives come with. Because according to them, these days couples don't put enough effort in their marriage. Compromise karna padta hai beta. And those aunties who, when you're single, they keep asking, when are you getting married? And when you are married, the next question is, so when are you giving us good news? And by chance, when you get divorced, it's like so sad. What happened? Tell me. Uska koi chakkar tha kya? And when you are divorced, God forbid you find a partner a bit sooner than normal. Oh, so fast? And when you are divorced and single and enjoying your life, they will come up to you and they will be like, you should find someone. You should find someone as a companion as, you know, in your old age. Like what? Give me a break. Even if someone left a marriage or got a divorce with or without effort, we don't need your hot take on it. India has the lowest divorce rates in the world. About 13 out of 1,000 marriages in India. Less than 1%, I think. I'm not sure. It might have been. I, this number looks highly deflated. End up in divorce. The South Asian community considers this low rate of divorce a matter of immense pride. But the actual reason behind such low rates than the rest of the world is not due to more cases of a healthy, conducive relationship than the others, but as a clinically trained therapist, I think, has claimed, calls it invisible divorce. Invisible divorce is a tortured cohabitation of a couple in a relationship that has irrevocably fallen apart. And it's very, it's very real. It's very, very prevalent. But we like to sweep it underneath the carpet. So you could have women beaters and husbands who are disrespectful, wives. And I say even to a certain extent women who are confused, who get married at a young age. Me being one of them who are not given proper training, then want to pursue a career have difference of opinions, have grown apart, but still, because of society, because of this cultural aspect of our society, we are forced to be bound together where there is no connection. There is no similarity. There is no any semblance of a healthy relationship. 
it's pretty much living under one roof as roommates and i think even worse than roommates because roommates even get along well and then you're tied down with having a kid and i'm saying not i'm not saying that you know marriage is this awful thing i for that matter would want to be on the other side you know telling you happy stories about it but invisible divorces and because we are so ridden by culture and shame that it we look upon as a divorce is this thing that we shouldn't even dare mention women often feel defective they cannot manage their marital issues there is also this persistent view that women can handle more than men in terms of hardship sacrifice emotional turmoil and so have the responsibility as the fairer sex being able to weather such storms and are considered to be a mark of a good daughter-in-law and even to that matter a good daughter amidst dealing with parents who are in denial but try to appear strong and supportive and do and somehow land up doing the wrong things inquisitive relatives friends who pick sides how does one deal with emotions of abandonment loneliness anxiety i didn't have a strong support system i was alone in a country where i didn't have any family i remember this one rather hard episode it was the first time i went to see a doctor and had to fill a new patient form as i was registering at a clinic close to my new home that i had just moved into after separating from my partner the question read who is your emergency contact for the last 10 years that would have been my partner the phone number would have been his i didn't know who that emergency contact would be it hit me like a ton of bricks but today i have several options the friend that answers the texts and calls the fastest would be my most rational answer to that one it's funny how grief throws logic out of the window and you're somehow blinded by the fact that doom is near when the fire exit is right next to you You know how I mentioned the show Uncoupled? Neil Patrick Harris goes through an array of emotions. They say that there are five stages of grief. I think five or seven, I'm not sure. Shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and hope. And then again, processing grief for me the first three stages were an absolute i won't say it was my loudest and proudest moments of my life i have cried and screamed and yelled and bawled in the middle of a shopping center I have torn all my partner's shirts scratched my partner's new car right across with his key not very proud of that i was erratic crazy wouldn't sleep or eat lost a ton of weight i lost 19 kilos 
I stalked my partner, wrote him endless love letters, wrote him endless hate letters, and then anger also befriended ego. I was working in advertising and my only source of support and distraction at that point of time was work and my colleagues. And advice at that point of time, there are plenty more fish in the sea. Tinder was doing its round and I was reckless and mindlessly scrolling. Swipe left, swipe right. I watched Eat, Pray, Love and believed that I would write a book about my betrayal and heartbrokenness and become famous and travel and have the ultimate revenge on my partner. I was in so much denial that it affected my health, my ability to function. There were days all I wanted to do was sleep and forget everything as if it were a dream. I bought every single self-help book, watched The Secret numerous times. Tony Robbins had become my saviour. I bought his book and reread it and again and again and again. I had to cope with managing my finances for the first time, get a rental contract, get a credit card, and at the age of probably 33, learn how to drive. I'd say learning to drive was my biggest achievement because a whole lot of what I am today has been possible because of the fact that I could drive. Some days I thought I could rule the world, and on others, I just wanted to curl under a rock and never rise again. I was confused, fueled by ego and denial. Instagram filters, overly compulsive posting of encouraging posts laced with hyperfeminism became my refuge. My ego boost, my security blanket. I would make plans with friends, get excited. And just when I was looking forward to being okay, the weariness of sympathetic friends asking too many questions would raise its ugly head and I would cancel. I became flaky, unpredictable and also very intolerable. Playing the victim was easy. I wasn't showing up at work. I was trying so hard to distract myself that I was neglecting my responsibilities. And unfortunately, work culture then was different. Emotional leave was unheard of. Counseling at work wasn't heard of. I also had two women dominatrix bosses who were divorced but came from white privilege and wouldn't have understood the fear, grief and loneliness and confusion a newly divorced Indian woman was undergoing. I was expected to just show up and perform my best. And I was made redundant. Another blow to my self-esteem. I was clearly told you can't handle this situation. You really need to go home. But home was in India, where I would have been labelled as a divorcee. Someone who would be looked upon as a failed attempt. I hate that word, divorcee. I will always have that label. Denial was so strong that despite my partner telling me that he didn't want to be with me and filing for divorce, you know that scene from DDLJ where Simran runs towards Raj? Imagine an absolute reverse but 
not like the male protagonist you know sort of chasing well let me just explain it to you i was so desperate and devoid of any self respect that i would plan catching the same train that my ex partner would catch to get into work so that i could accidentally bump into him and get a glimpse of him i was so desperate that one day i didn't see him so i boarded the train and whenever the train stopped at every station i would run to the next carriage just hoping that he would be there this part this is the ugly part this is the part that no one going through divorce talks about when i look back at the stupid erratic things that i did it was the part of the healing process and i have given myself permission to forgive myself for the way i acted the truth of the matter is if there was a support group that i could reach out if divorce wasn't such a big bad thing if vulnerability was more accepted if empathy was practiced more i would have done things differently the title of the podcast is happily divorced not once but twice the twice is the outcome of the emotional bender that i was on my need to be validated accepted and to find love again was so immense that even if love manifested itself in the most unhealthy immature form i was okay with it i was on a quest to be happy my ex partner was he had moved on so quickly nothing really changed for him he had his friends his job his family his home and yes a new love i was reckless confused and on a quest to outdo him this is where i creatively created the massive mess of my life the second time around I foolishly believed that the validation I was getting from the first man who showed me glimpses of affection as love. I wanted to outdo my ex-partner so much that I recklessly got a court marriage within a year and despite everyone warning me I was out to prove something. Remember I wanted my eat pray love moment that movie trust me should not be watched. when in a highly emotional state nor should you listen to adele when two broken individuals come together hoping they will find love and the other will heal them there's bound to be trouble i know that now that relationship was short lived it was so toxic when you're hoping that the other person will heal you and rescue there is nothing but just a mess I had learned the hard way. I knew the stages. I knew when to call it quits before it was too late. And most importantly, I wasn't ashamed or scared. Sheryl Sandberg in her book Option B writes, "Everyone makes mistakes. Some are small but can have serious consequences. We turn our heads for a split second on the playground, and just then, that very moment our child falls we change lanes we hit a car in our blind spot we make big mistakes too 
errors of judgment, failure to follow through on commitments, lapse of integrity. None of us can change what we have already done. But self-compassion comes from recognizing that our imperfections are part of being a human. Those who can tap into can recover from it faster. My biggest fear while going through divorce was being alone and not having anyone around to understand what I was going through. Lack of support. I really didn't know anyone who had gone through divorce and all my friends were happily married. I couldn't relate with them and they couldn't relate with me. I had so many questions about the process, about dealing with emotions, finances, what were my rights? I remember this one account where all my married friends, especially the women to be specific, decided to go for lunch and spoke of their partners and kids. Don't know if it was intentional, but they had lack of acknowledgement that there was me, a newly divorced person amongst them who had nothing to contribute or share. It was dealing with the depression and anxiety. It took me several years and almost like dating to find the right therapist who got me, who understood me. Let me tell you finding a great therapist is so required to have someone to listen to you without any judgment and questions. And growing up as a South Asian, you are not encouraged to go see a therapist. In fact, having anything to do with mental health is not considered important because you are crazy to think that you're crazy, right? Married women account for the highest portions of suicide deaths among women in India. Indian and broadly South Asian women have the highest rates of suicide in the world. In some parts of South India, the rate of suicide among women is more than 100 per 100,000 in the age groups of 15 to 24. There is an alarming figure that indicates that Callers from Indian background are our second highest number of callers to the 1800 respect service after women born in Australia. This is primarily related to poor mental health, no proper support system, societal pressure, lack of rehabilitation and information sources. One of the things that I found most difficult to sort of process was the legal aspect. I didn't know where to get a good lawyer or speak to someone or get advice on the legal aspects of divorce. Lucky for me in Australia it's quite simple. Under the Family Law Act of 1975, you will be eligible to apply for divorce on the ground that your marriage has broken down irretrievably and if you can establish that. It is important to note that the only ground of divorce recognized in Australia is no no-fault ground. of irretrievable breakdown of the marriage however in india it gets a bit more murky and complex the grounds of divorce under section 13 of the hindu marriage act include but are not limited to adultery cruelty conversion unsoundness of mind virulent and incurable leprosy entering a new religious order or presumption of death non compliance with judicial separation 
or a decree of restitution of conjugal rights. The Hindu Marriage Act does not even include irretrievable breakdown as a ground of divorce. Information about what my entitlements were, who gets what, how does the process take place, how long does it take, who do I reach out to, getting lawyers were expensive and if you stretch or debate for the amount of time that you spend in the court, it would be more expensive. And as a person, as a woman who is dealing with a lot of emotions and then has to deal with her finances, this is an added pressure. A very wise person gave me this advice whilst I was going through the legality of my divorce. Once you have gone through the emotions of a marriage ending, treat divorce like a business transaction with a boss. Make it polite, easy and keep emotions out of it. It was one of the best advice I have ever got from someone whilst I was going through this turbulent time. I followed it to the T and let me tell you that it was one of the most easiest processes of getting a divorce legally. The shame associated with divorce is inexplicably, especially as per the Indian society. There is a stigma associated with something that's broken. Similarly to mental health or sexual health, divorce is one of those hush-hush topics even though it's quite common. No one really talks about it publicly. No one talks about their first-person account or how they cope with it. The constant fear of future outcomes and how this breakdown would affect it. When will we normalize talking about it? When will it be acceptable that as humans we evolve and our nature of relationships change? It's not about giving up on the concepts of love. It's about gaining skills to handle difficult conversations, to gain empathy and creating a safe space for those undergoing it, who have done it and might go through it in the future. Convincing people to talk about failure is not easy. When we create a safe space where we can openly talk about our failures and shortcomings, there is more room for improvement and change. I wanted to discuss and narrate my story in the most sincere and lightest way. I wanted to create a safe space for myself and for many others going through this. I also want to make people see the lighter side to the most difficult phases of my life and their life. Whilst I was healing and undergoing the process of recovering, I read several books and one of the books that has been an absolute standout and has resonated with me has been Sheryl Sandberg's Option B. In that book, she writes about humour. She says humour can sometimes provide a little dash of morality in which wrongs are righted. When you have a horrible situation and add a punchline to it, for at least a moment, you have shifted the balance of power. The helpless become the victor and the underdogs have the last word. When I look back at the crazy and erratic things that I did when I was going through my divorce, I can now sit back and sometimes really chuckle and laugh and actually call out my stupid, shameful behavior. And I have grown to be a better human being, grown to be wiser, more rational, and more empathetical. And if I didn't look at the situation in the way that I do right now, 
I would be really harsh on myself, guilt-ridden. And guilt is a gift that keeps on giving. You can't get rid of it if you are stuck in the past. And hence, humor comes in where you can help to really look at yourself and say, what the hell was I really doing? And hopefully with this dialogue and looking at my episode and the way I was dealing with divorce in a more sort of a comical and a more humorous take on it, although heart-wrenchingly, you know, uh, overwhelming at times, I want to create a safe space where we start having that dialogue that calling quits is okay, divorce is normal, having boundaries, self-respect, having the courage to go up and tell someone that I might have changed and my feelings might have changed and doing it in a very respectful manner. We create a society, we give society a chance to evolve and understand and grow and make it a better place and to live happy. I hope you like this episode although a bit on the heavier side, it's the part of my life that has inspired to start this podcast in the first place. One of those defying moments that has changed me forever and also for the better. So do like this episode if it has managed to get any reaction out of you. I love to hear from you via your feedback or via comments. So do like, follow and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple and Google Podcasts and don't forget to share it with friends and family or if you know anyone who's going through the rather hard phase in life it could help them and reassure them that there is indeed a brighter side to the difficult parts of life so until next time see you soon take care and keep smiling